Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can taste and smell fresh manna. Today you'll be listening to Pastor Sean Grisendine, pastor of the Houghton Seventh-day Adventist Church and assistant pastor of the Bessemer and Greenland Seventh-day Adventist Churches. Now, here's Pastor Sean. Praise the Lord. It's a blessing to be here worshiping together as we continue our journey through the sanctuary. And I'm just thankful that God has arranged it, that as we journey through the sanctuary, we also get to partake of something that reminds us of the table of showbread, and that is the communion service, as we'll be partaking of the bread that represents Christ's broken body, and then also the unfermented grape juice that represents his blood shed for us. So as we begin our journey together in his word, I invite you if you're able to kneel with me now. Let's pray and seek the Lord for his spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you so much for your everlasting love and that you've invited us to approach you, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Through the sanctuary, we see a clear revelation of the plan of salvation and your desire to strengthen and nourish our souls to be ready for eternity with you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts personally and individually through the power of your Holy Spirit. Please hide me behind the cross of Christ. May Jesus be lifted up and may we experience a deep intimacy with you because of what you've given us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To sing is as much an act of worship as is prayer, and so I am going to share a special song that really fits with the entire series that we're journeying together, and this song is called To Your Sanctuary. Some of you may be familiar with hymn 21 in the Seventh-Amist hymnal, St. Dino is the melody, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. And so I've prayerfully taken that melody and composed a song to it that journeys through the aspects of the sanctuary. I'll sing it and pray that you'll be blessed. So this is part of that message in song. To your sanctuary through the gates of praise, thanksgiving we carry and our hands we raise to the bleeding victim. Now all our eyes turn, our sin laid upon him. For Jesus we yearn. We come to approach you in your holiness, confessing before you our deep sinfulness. The way of salvation you made very plain from your congregation. You cleanse every stain. On that brazen altar, all those lambs once died. By faith we won't falter in the crucified. Your cleansing by water, the laver make sure. By your Holy Spirit, make our whole lives pure. Now within the Holy Our faith is assured. Your message of truth comes as bread from your word. The candlestick lightens our path evermore. 
Your spirit guides us to what you have in store. The incense of prayer now draws us up to you. Your spirit guides us how to live fully true. Mid conflict and trial, we cast all our cares on one without guile who numbers our hairs. By faith we go onward through the second veil to Jesus, our high priest, who never will fail. We humble our souls in true fasting today and rest from our own works as you are the way. Now cleanse your high dwelling this atonement day. Your character shall stand good and right alway. With your intercession, our cleansing shall come. Lord, finish the story and soon take us home. Christ's desire is that we would not just journey through the sanctuary in a spiritual experience here, but one that leads us finally home. And that's the whole intent of the sanctuary. It is God's plan to get us over our sin problem and into his very presence. Because until sin is fully eradicated from our hearts and minds and lives, we would not actually even be safe in the presence of Jesus. We would be consumed. So in his mercy and his love, he's provided a way for us to be completely cleansed and transformed. And I praise God for that. How many of you would consider yourselves a morning person? You know, some of us do. Maybe some of us struggle to consider ourselves morning people. But even if you're not naturally inclined to be up early in the morning, God has a special blessing for us each morning. And as we continue our journey through the sanctuary on looking at the table of showbread, our title of the message today is Through the Sanctuary, the Table of Showbread. God actually gave something even before the actual services of the sanctuary established in that each morning, except the Sabbath, there was something out in the Israelite encampment called manna. If we go now to the book of Exodus chapter 16, beginning verse 14. Exodus 16, beginning verse 14. We see that God had a special blessing for those who were up early and went out to gather it. Exodus 16, verse 14 and 15. And God wants to also give us special supernatural blessings through his word early in the morning so that we're prepared for what we're going to face that day, nourishing our spiritual life. Exodus 16, verse 14 and 15. The Bible tells us, And when the dew that lay was gone up, Behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. So Jesus himself said in his ministry, I am that bread of life, John six forty eight. And we notice here that this manna is actually to teach them about their dependence on Christ. We are in dependence on spiritual as well as physical needs being met by Christ. And so in verse 21, notice, however, it was important that they gathered it before the sun waxed hot. Verse 21, and they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. You know, there's just something about those early morning hours before the sun waxes hot and all the cares of the day get started. 
that that time with God is so needed. And I'll be very honest with you. If we miss that, we are missing our purpose. I'm just going to be like really honest. You're missing the reason why you exist. You were created to know God. And if you don't know God, you are missing the joy of life. You're missing the sweetest moments of experience when God will speak to you personally and individually about who you are in him. And I've found time and again that there are things that God wants to give us in those early morning hours that if we don't have that, suddenly it seems like life just happens. You've ever said that life happens? God doesn't want life to be in crisis mode because that's sometimes how it feels if we don't have that time in early morning with Jesus to start off the day fresh and strong with him. But as the Israelites gathered this man, it was teaching them an important lesson of early morning dependence on God's provision. And when we come to the Bible, you know, and whatever we might be reading, we want to pray, Lord, show me Jesus. I want to see Christ's character in what I'm reading here. Because the truth is, the whole Bible is a revelation of Christ. And so it's spiritually to nourish us. That's why it says in Matthew 6, verse 33, a text that you're probably quite familiar with, Matthew 6, verse 33, as we turn there. And there's just something about priorities. Have you ever found that if you don't put the first things first, they seem to like not get accomplished? Other things just come in and they bombard you with other responsibilities or other distractions. And it's really, I can say this truth, that by spending time with God, you become a different person. You become more efficient. You're able to get more done in the day because you've been with the God who's upholding the whole universe. So it's not a waste of time to spend time with Jesus. It's the best thing to do. Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, as we continue our journey and we think about how the table of showbread was really a lesson of dependence for the Israelites on God giving them their spiritual food, God wants us to understand how it represents Jesus. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. And we're going to look here at the way the table of showbread was put together. And it's a simple piece of furniture. It was on the north side of the sanctuary in the holy place. And it's interesting because there's two crowns here. There's also two even stacks of bread. And this is to represent the equality of the father and the son. And we'll realize that actually even the way that the bread is composed, because it's made with olive oil, that when we see Jesus, we're seeing the Holy Spirit who had anointed him. And if you've seen Jesus, you've truly seen the father. So Exodus 25, beginning in verse 23. Exodus 25, beginning in verse 23. We're looking at the piece of furniture that represents where Christ is the bread of life to us. Exodus 25, beginning in verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an handbreadth round about. And thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be, for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold, shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me alway. In other words, the bread was always to be present there. And if you ever try leaving bread out on your counter for a few days, it tends to, unless it has special preservatives, it will tend to mold. It will go bad. You wouldn't want to eat it a few days later. It'd be hard. 
But God did a supernatural miracle that the bread that was placed there on the Sabbath, that was baked there and put there on the Sabbath, would remain fresh and good until the following Sabbath when the priest would eat it. And God wants you to know that by you choosing to be here in church on Sabbath and spiritually be nourished, God's going to sustain you spiritually for the whole week. Is that encouraging? I'm not in any way trying to denigrate that you need to have that morning time with Jesus, those, those quiet times. But God wants you to continue to be freshly encouraged by what you're receiving from Sabbath to Sabbath. And so God has even set up the sanctuary service to teach us that the Sabbath is central to our experience with God. There's no way to separate Sabbath from knowing God. Because God is a God of intimacy. God is a God of rest. God is a God of relationships. God wants to speak to you and nourish you. And it's often when we rest in him that we're able to really hear what he's saying to us. And so it is, if we're struggling with any area of our life, any sin struggle, any identity crisis, any sense of purpose, what am I supposed to be doing? The answer always just comes down to be still and know that I'm God. Psalm 4610. And we sometimes maybe struggle with that. We're like, Lord, that sounds too simple. And God says, the plan of salvation is simple. You're a sinner. You need a savior. Accept it. Allow my grace to change you. Allow your heart to become quiet enough to finally hear what I'm really like. Because we cannot earn salvation. We can't run fast enough, hard enough, do enough good works to atone for anything we've ever done. Jesus says, let me speak to you and change your very character. Because when on the very depth of our being, when we hear God speaking to us, we begin to change how we see God and others. That's what nourishment does. A person who would maybe, I'm just using a physical illustration, who is weak and barely has enough energy to go, when you give them a nourishing meal, they've got energy, they've got pep. God wants us to have strength in our spiritual lives. He doesn't want us to be weak and insipid spiritually. He wants to be vibrant and powerful so that people get to know us. They're like, I want to try what you're doing. How is your life able to have so much strength and solidity of character and purpose? And you say, I spend time every day with Jesus and I worship Jesus every Sabbath where God's people gather to meet in the local Sunday Amish church. That's a witness that is saying that God's plan is really a plan of wellness. It's a plan of blessing. It's a plan of abundance. And so God will sustain us and strengthen us. And I really believe the devil does everything he can to try to make sure that you can't have your morning time with Jesus, can't have personal devotions, and he does everything he can to keep you from church. Don't let it happen. Don't get discouraged. Come and meet with God's people and have that time with Jesus. We need it. We desperately need it. Now, as we turn over to Leviticus 24, we're going to look at verses 5 through 9. We'll notice that there's not just bread on that table, but something is placed on the bread that was there for a memorial. And we will not want to forget that word because there's significance there. Leviticus 24, beginning in verse 5. Leviticus 24, beginning in verse 5. And this is speaking here about the bread was to be placed before the Lord. Leviticus 24, beginning in verse 5. It's telling us how the bread is made. We looked at the table. So that's important. The furniture there is placed in the right location, built according to God's plan after the pattern of the heavenly sanctuary. And I'll just bring this in. Earlier in our series, we talked about how everything that Moses was instructed to make was after the pattern of the sanctuary that exists and always has existed in heaven. So Moses wasn't coming up with any of these blueprints. And by the way, you don't have to come up with any plans for your life if you'll ask God what his plans are. It's the same way. I mean, God is over everything and knows exactly what we need. So he gave them the recipe for the bread, how it was all to be composed, because it was teaching lessons about Jesus. Leviticus 24, beginning verse 5. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, 
upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. For it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statute. In other words, we're told that it's on the Sabbath that the bread was placed there. And interestingly enough, it's on the Sabbath that God's ministers do the greatest amount of pastoral labor. It's not a violation of the Sabbath. It's totally in harmony with the Sabbath. Ministry, I love Sabbath. It's the day fullest of ministry. That's what God intended. Fill your mind, fill your life with God's word and find ways to share it on Sabbath. And if you do, you're going to be blessed and you're going to keep experiencing blessings through the week that give you a desire for Sabbath. You're going to be looking forward to the next Sabbath. So God intended that. But I want us to really hone in now on verse 7 that told us that upon the rows of bread, there was six loaves and six loaves, even stacks, there was frankincense placed upon it. Frankincense is a very beautiful and it has a wonderful aroma. And this was to be placed there as a memorial. In the life of Jesus, the bread of life, was there an experience that Jesus commented on that was to be recounted every time you'd give the gospel or share the bread of life as a memorial? The answer is yes. Let's go to Matthew 26, beginning in verse 6. And this story, the story of Mary Magdalene, while we might not immediately make the connection to the sanctuary or the table of showbread or Jesus, the bread of life, it's all there. The sanctuary is already setting this up for Mary to do her part. And there are times in our lives when we feel like, does God have a use for me? He does. He has a specific plan for your life. And Mary had wanted to show that she appreciated what Jesus had done for her. She had been struggling with demon possession. Christ had cast out seven demons from her. He had pardoned her sins and her great joy and overflowing gratitude. She wanted to show her gratitude to him. And she wanted to do it before he died. She knew that he had said that he was going to die on the cross. And so here she's offering an anointing upon him. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said to them, Why trouble you the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Isn't that amazing? God says the gospel picture is not complete without the Lamb's wife, because Mary Magdalene, in very many ways, represents this bride of Christ who is experiencing this transformation. God does not want us to just talk about Jesus as in like, that's what he did years ago. He wants us to share a living experience of what he's doing in our lives, saving us. Isn't that encouraging? Like in order to really reach people, you have to live it. Like we have come to a point in our society where people's experience trumps everything else. In fact, people are now going, they'll say, well, that's my lived experience. It may contradict every other fact that they've ever heard. It may contradict their actual biology. They say, that's my lived experience. God has an answer for that. You know why? He says, meet the 144,000. Meet my lamb's wife. Meet my people in the last days that have a lived experience with Jesus 
who can testify that Christ has saved them from their sins and they have experienced a new identity. What does the world say to that? They're like, that looks a lot better than my suicidal, broken, depressive pattern of choosing my own lived experience. Because there's a thing, outside of God, you are choosing a path of misery and destruction. And God wants to nourish the world through you and me. He wants us to be living epistles, known and read of all men, witness that Jesus lives in the sanctuary and in your heart. And Mary Magdalene had that experience. She didn't say anything. In fact, there's no record of her actually mentioning anything in this whole testimony. And so there may be people around you that you're not even telling them that you believe in Jesus. They're just like, I see you believe in Jesus. You can't hide it. And that may be a more powerful witness than the words that you may say. And I'm not saying that Mary Magdalene didn't say things. She did. But who you are speaks more than what you say. Does that make sense? Like who you are in Jesus. Like when people know that when you have spare time, you go and pray. When you have spare time, you go and find another Bible study. I mean, when people know that your life is so bound up with Jesus that you just want to share him with others, they're going, I think Jesus must be real because I'm seeing him really in you. That's what nourishes the world. That's how Mary Magdalene's life was to be spoken of for a memorial. It's not so much about her as it's about what we can be like Jesus, like she experienced. God wants us to be receiving the bread of life to give the bread of life to the world. The more we contemplate the grace of Christ, the more we experience what he's done for us and then we share with others, the more spiritual strength and power we'll have. I don't know if you've ever had a really nice Thanksgiving meal or another big feast like Christmas or something. Have you ever noticed that afterwards sometimes you'll feel tired? Often it's because you've received so much nourishment and you don't have a direct outlet to walk it off or, you know, use the energy. Spiritually, we can become the same way. We can keep reading the Bible and keep learning and keep learning. But if we don't have a way to share what we're receiving from God, we spiritually become overfed, obese in a sense. In other words, God wants us to not just receive the blessings in our time with him, but to find ways to share them. And Mary Magdalene, she could have said, I don't know if Jesus wants me to be at that feast because she wasn't invited. But she said, I just wanted to know I appreciate what he did. And we will be saying, Lord, please give me Mary Magdalene moments all day. Help me to find ways to let you know, Jesus, that I appreciate what you've done for me. Because you're not earning your salvation. That's been paid for in full at Calvary. You can't earn salvation. But if you really have experienced salvation, you can't wait to tell how much he's done for you. You can't be stopped. And that's the thing. God wants us to have this overflow of this superabundance of his grace, transforming our hearts by his grace. And when people see that, they will want to know why you're so happy, why you're so full of joy and peace and love, even when everything in your life seems to be unraveling. Because Mary Magdalene, to all intents and purposes, we have no record of her ever getting married. We have no record of her family life, really. Obviously, she had siblings that she lived with, but we actually have some biblical evidence that she struggled with sexual sin. And a lot of people would probably just write her off and say, why are you even talking to her, Jesus? Like, this is kind of like shady. Jesus loves shady people. Jesus loves broken people. Jesus loves the, you know, the people that most people in our society say, there's no hope for them. And whatever the sin struggle might be that we in our minds say, God can't save them. God looks down at us and says, Can I save you from your hypocrisy and your pride and your condemnation of other people that honestly open their heart to Christ? Because that's what God wants to do. He wants our hearts to be melted. Where we don't look at others with an accusing spirit, we look at them with an intercessory spirit. We pray for them and we love them to Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did. 
because he could have extinguished every spark of hope in Mary's heart. He could have told her, well, you've fallen again. Why didn't you learn better? You know, why didn't you stop that? And so he just kept praying and praying and praying. And finally, the deep layers of unbelief and shame and worthlessness that she'd felt for so many years began to just melt away as the sunshine and the nourishing words of Jesus reached her heart. That's really what the world needs right now. The world needs grace, and God is going to pour it out on the world through you and me. We might pray that the Holy Spirit will be poured out. If we're praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out and the word of God to take hold of our hearts, what we're praying is that we would have a character like Jesus and pray like Jesus and speak like Jesus, words of hope and healing. And yet in contrast to Mary's penitent humility and desire to anoint Jesus, we see the struggle of the 12 who are thinking we're kind of like all that. Go to Luke twenty two twenty four, And God wants to give us true humility where we're not seeking the highest place, rather we're seeking service. And the communion service that we partake of the Sabbath is really meant to be a memorial of remembering the way Jesus nourished the world. He sacrificed. He laid down his life. Luke twenty-two twenty-four. 24. And this is of the 12, unfortunately, the struggle that Jesus, why he washes their feet, why he ministers to them, because he's trying to uproot this self-seeking spirit that would poison heaven if we were taken there without this being addressed in the heart. Luke twenty-two twenty-four. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Now I have to ask you an honest question. Who would you say was greater? Peter or John or Mary Magdalene in comparison to character experience? I think we could easily say Mary Magdalene. She's right there at Jesus' feet. She's right there at the tomb. Well, though the disciples are contending for the first place, she's just right there with Jesus. And there's just something about being close to Jesus that you just don't even think about whether you're first or not. That's not even your point. Your point is you want to be like Jesus and you want others to know Jesus. And when that becomes our focus as a church, I believe a lot of the controversies and a lot of the disagreements are just going to cease because our whole focus will be, how can I be like Jesus? And that motive is what changes us. That motive of selflessness where we want to be as close to him as possible. That's truly what it means to be eating the bread of life. Because inevitably, if we're beholding Christ who agonized in Gethsemane, I love how it says in Luke 22 where he's sweating great drops of blood. He really did. Like it was so intense bearing the way that sends the world. Christ's agony was so intense that an angel was sent from God to strengthen him, not to take away the cup, but to give him the strength to actually go to the cross. And as we now turn to Calvary, where you can imagine Mary is watching and she's seeing her Savior. She really believed this was the Savior. Luke 23 and beginning in verse 33 and 34. Jesus would utter a prayer that would even reach her heart. Because we need not forgiveness just yesterday. We need a daily cleansing through the grace of Christ, the blood of Jesus. Luke 23, beginning in verse 33 and 34. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. This is the work that God wants to do in our hearts today. This is the work that God needs to do in us, where we begin to pray like Jesus prayed. And as we turn to John 6, 63, we'll realize that contemplating the closing scenes of the life of Jesus has a supernatural gracious influence on us that I don't know how to quite put into words except try it. We talk about why not prove the Lord? Why not try to put aside 10% of your income and put it to tithe like God invites you to do? But why not try spending time each morning with Jesus and see how your life changes? Just experience it. 
It's one of those things that God wants us to have. Beholding Christ's death, contemplating his words, and it's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual reality, John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so as we've continued our journey to this point, sanctuary, on the north side where the table of showbread was placed, it was all pointing forward to how Jesus would be the bread of life. Mary Magdalene would be like that memorial on the bread. And you and I are invited in this communion service to partake of the emblems of the sacrifice of Jesus with hearts refreshed and renewed with gratitude for what Christ has done for us. We don't receive these things to save us. We receive Jesus. We receive these emblems that express our appreciation for what he's already done through his grace. And as our hearts open and expand to the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, the Holy Spirit moves upon us to understand more fully the value of one soul. And you're that one of those souls that Jesus paid for. So today, if it's your desire to say, Lord, I want my heart fully surrendered to you so that my life can be like that memorial, receiving that bread and expressing that gratitude. If that's your desire today, would you like to raise your hand? Each and every one of us has an opportunity. Amen. Let's kneel for prayer. Bowing our heads. Father in heaven, you've brought us here for such a time as this. We've come to be able to receive the precious emblems representing Jesus' broken body and spilled blood. Lord, not by any merit of ourselves, not because of anything we've done good, but because of the goodness of God, because of your mercy you've freely poured upon us like you did for Mary Magdalene. So transform our hearts in this choice of willing surrender. Lord, help us if we're struggling to surrender, that we simply allow you into our hearts through your grace, through your Holy Spirit. Nourish us, not just from these emblems that represent you, but continually from the word of God through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Pastor Sean Brizendine, pastor of the Houghton Seventh-day Adventist Church and assistant pastor of the Bessemer and Greenland Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you've enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath? I'm sure he'd be glad to meet you.